Footsteps of Mad Men. Chapter 2. The Beast. Peter's eyes opened, and with a beat, his head began to pound. Unbearable heat surrounded him. Light filled his eyes, and his pulse drummed into his ears. Rope rubbed at his wrists, bound tight enough to numb his hands. His blurred vision cleared, revealing that he lay beneath a tall black monolith. It was surrounded by other monoliths, all of them identical. A symbol was etched into the dark material of the obelisks. Something stirred in his memory. Where had he seen it before? And then it came to him. The signposts on the outskirts of Wei with that symbol of lightning bolts radiating from a dark circle in the center. It made even less sense now. What does it mean? He thought. I thought you'd never wake up, said the graveled voice of Martin. Mayhap I'd knocks all sense out of you. Peter closed his eyes and let out a groan of pain. Mayhap you did. Martin laughed. I'm sure it don't take much to beat the brains out of a dog. It doesn't take much to beat the brains out of an inbred bundaki, said Peter. He opened his eyes, allowing him to give Martin a look that said he wasn't joking. You got some bark on you, but my bite is far worse. Martin took a great swing of his arm, slapping Peter across the face with the back of his hand. Purple stars fizzled in Peter's vision for a full minute. His head stung. He moved his jaw from left to right. I guess I'm meant to be impressed. Martin stood back, clearly doing his best not to show his frustration. He rubbed his hands. All right, Doc. Tell me what brings you to way. Peter smiled. Me and my men have never traveled to the edge of the boondock. We thought it would be a nice trip. Martin bent down and picked up a pair of steel tongs. It's a real shame you ain't gonna be straight with me. I was hoping we'd keep this clean. Looks like I get to have some fun with you instead. Peter saw something in Martin's eyes. It was a look he'd seen before from rapists and murderers. It was a kind of insanity. You know, some men would give you another chance. I can tell, said Martin, pointing a finger. It'd be no use with you. No, you need teaching a lesson. You need the kind of whooping I'd give any mutt. With a pair of tongs, Martin picked up a piece of the obsidian rock the monoliths were made from. A small amount of smoke rose from the underside of the rock as it was lifted from the ground. Martin crouched before Peter and smiled. This is gonna hurt. He placed the rock against Peter's stomach, pressing it hard into him. Pain flared in Peter's abdomen. He roared, the sound echoing from those dark pillars. It was relentless, inescapable pain. The pain numbed, but the pressure remained. Peter understood that already the burn had grown to the worst severity. Enough! 
he cried. Martin removed the rock, placing it onto the ground. Blood sizzled on its surface with a hiss. You did well. Most men shit themselves. Peter looked down at the wound. There was a surprising lack of blood. It had already cauterized. God damn it. Now, boy, you're gonna tell me what you're looking for. I know hounds don't just set out into the boondock unless you got the contract. Peter lay there for a few moments, weighing up the impact of the possibilities before him. All of them were bad. Peter swallowed what felt like razor blades. Water. Martin removed a bottle from his belt, unscrewed the lid, and offered it up to Peter's lips. He took several gulps before it was taken away again. Now, talk. There's something in the hills. Something real powerful. A weapon. Go on, said Martin, rolling his finger. Peter pierced Martin with his gaze. A silver sphere. The devil work of the ancients. That's all I know. Martin smiled. Aye, you speak the truth. I see it in your eyes. Did they tell you what it is? Peter shook his head. No. It's a bomb, like nothing you've ever seen. It could take out the city in a single moment. Martin snapped a finger. Death had come over you before you even knew it. Peter swallowed. How? Devil's work, said Martin. You ever seen one of them iron giants? Only once. It was half mad wandering around the desert, said Peter. Aye, they're all mad now. The beast runs on the same hidden magic as those tin men. Martin sniffed and stood up, his knees clicking. Well, I think that's enough, Jorwagon. He removed a pistol from his holster and pulled back the hammer. It's time to put down this dog. Wait, said Peter. He did not let any hint of panic rise in his voice. We can come to a deal. We're strong men. We can work for you. I have men, said Martin. I've seen them. They look as inbred as they come. You could do with some brains and health in your company. And why should I trust a hound? said Martin. We can't just go back to the city. Not without that thing. If we're lucky, we would be cast out into the boondock with no guns or supplies. More likely, we'd be killed. We can work for you. It's what we do. We're just trying to survive like everyone else. Martin smiled. Mayhap I'll throw you in the pit for a few months and see how that breaks you. Then I might be able to make use of you. Aye, said Peter. Mayhap you can. Get up, said Martin, waving the pistol. The pit it is. Peter scrambled to his feet with difficulty, both in the hands tied behind his back and the flaring pain in his stomach. He and Martin made their trek back to Way.
Peter and his men were led through town. Men and women lined the dirt street, staring at the three men with their yellow eyes. Beyond the smoldering remains of the saloon, a well stood to one side of the street. The hounds were stopped just before the well. Martin came forward, hooking his thumbs into the pockets of his sun-bleached jeans. They dried up nearly ten years ago, he said, spitting over the stone wall. Now we call it the pit. Maybe if you behave down there, we'll throw down some bread and water. Have a nice day. A large brute stepped forward, grabbed Peter, and tossed him over the side. Peter fell tens of feet, disappearing into the darkness of the pit before landing on the soft dirt below. God fucking damn it, he cried, half-winded. He scrambled out of the way as first Sully was thrown down, followed by Franco. Peter felt what he at first thought was water being trickled over them. He looked up and realized that Martin and his inbred bastards were lined up around the well and were pissing down on them. Motherfuckers! Peter shouted up at them. In the gloom, Peter saw that Sully had sat up, wearing his hat, piss dribbling over its brim. Remember this, Pete, said Sully. Your first Bendaki rain. Emily pulled hard on the rusting handle of the pump. Water gushed in sudden bursts into the bucket. It splashed over her feet, giving her a small amount of pleasure. When the bucket was full, she grabbed the handle and started her way back to the house. It was a lopsided walk, the weight uncomfortable for her petite frame. From the porch of the house, her husband's goons stared at her. Maran she said to herself. One of them, a tall and thin beauty with a hair lip, raised his eyebrows and grabbed his crotch. Emily looked at the ground and hurried up the steps of the porch and passed them, their low laughter following her. Inside, it was hardly any cooler than the outside in the full heat of the sun. Martin was talking with one of his boys. As she walked past him, Martin slapped her on the butt. She showed nothing, but inside she was disgusted. Emily entered the kitchen, almost retreating inside the room. Why did you have to do this to me, father? She said. You had to go and die. Them city boys, she heard her husband say from the other room. She earwigged while pouring the water into a bowl and carrying out other chores she could complete quietly. They thought they had it all figured out. Ride in here, fool us with their guns, and ride out with their prize. My prize. Martin thumped the desk. But I will break them in the pit. It only needs time. Emily walked closer to the doorway. Mayhap if they are broken in... We'll have ourselves a bunch of tame dogs. She shifted her weight and instantly regretted the decision. 
Her elbow brushed a glass, sending it to the floor. It didn't break, but it bounced with a terribly loud sound. Her shoulders were up at her ears by the time the sound stopped. Martin looked around the doorway. You've been listening in about them, dogs from the city? Emily's heart was thumping. Her mind struggled to find a way out. No, was all she could manage. Come on, little city girl. I know you miss home. No, she replied. Martin smiled his yellow teeth. Oh, I know it. Them dogs ain't gonna do nothing for you. So you can stop dreaming right now. Before he looked away, she saw him take a look at her chest. She backed away toward the window of the kitchen. Leaning on its frame, she looked out at the sun-scorched landscape. God damn you, father. She looked out at the sun-scorched landscape. God damn you, father. Why did you have to leave me here? Why did you have to go and die? The image of her dying father came to her, his mouth gulping for air, blood trickling from the gunshot to his chest. He gripped her young arm tight. He said nothing, just stared at her with panic and fear-filled eyes. Above them, Martin stood and watched, the pistol in his hand still smoking. The cracking voice of Peter's mentor entered his mind. I will push you until you are broken. Then I will push you even more. That memory passed through his meditating mind. The endless lessons and excursions into the boondock, unlocking the secrets to keep madness at bay, to keep your wits about you, to forever be a hound of the city. Peter opened his eyes and took a deep breath. He did not move his body. He was not ready to become any more conscious than his current state. Franco sat with his head bent toward the opening of the well. Sully had his hat pulled over his face. Peter took another deep breath, closed his eyes, and dived once again into the depths of his mind. He was stood in Luther. Death and decay filled the air. Bodies were strewn through the street, left here and there like the tossed clothes of lovers. He walked along the dirt road, his spurs ringing with each footstep. As he progressed further along the street, the concentration of strewn bodies increased until there were bodies upon bodies. Soon, the cadavers were piled one upon another, the pile grew taller and taller, at first like the foothills of a mountain, and then rising into the peak of a monstrous tower of bodies. Peter stood before this construction of death, his heart pounding relentlessly in his chest. Flies, vultures, beetles, they all scuttled over the dead. The ground began to rumble. Peter staggered backward, a white brilliant shone from the summit of cadavers. The bodies parted, 
tumbling down the sides of their flesh mountain, and from within, a large silver sphere rose. Thick black cables emanated from its metal skin. Those wires quivered and lolled against the bodies. I am waiting, said a voice from the air, deep and full of foreboding. And then Peter was screaming. The eyes of every cadaver below the sphere were open, staring into him, wanting him to join them. He turned to run. A naked woman stood there, flat breasts giving way to an oozing wound that enveloped her stomach. She took both her hands, wrapping them around his neck. She pulled him closer, opened her foul-smelling mouth, and kissed him, forcing her decayed tongue into his mouth and then deeper, like a serpent it worked its way into his throat. I am waiting, said the voice of the orb. His eyes flashed open. This time, his body flinched violently. His breathing had quickened. He allowed himself to follow his training, to dial back the pace of breath. That's enough meditation, he told himself. If you like Footsteps of Mad Men, then you love Song of the Universe by K.G. Heath. To find out more and to buy the book, visit kgheath.tumblr.com. Footsteps of Mad Men was written and narrated by K.G. Heath. The songs featured were Unseen Horrors by Kevin MacLeod and... Drums of the Deep by Kevin MacLeod of Incomputech.com